0: Well, in a week where Trump has decided to test the resolve of China, it appears that things are about to get very heated within the technology space. Good evening and welcome to City Trends, your number one technology conversation on Ghana Radio. My name is Philip Pashon and City Transit is sponsored by HubTel, helping you collect payments easily and N-I-I-T, bringing people and computers together successfully. Now, if you are a business owner, selling to your customers is supposed to be the most important part of your entire enterprise. So if you're a customer or if your customers have always found a way of getting to, you know, your products and you are not necessarily finding the best way to get to them in terms of getting your money back, then you're probably losing sales right about now. These days, customers want to shop from you and pay without necessarily coming to your store. Well, this is where Haptel can help you modernize your sales. Get your own e-commerce platform from Haptel so you can sell in your store, online, and on mobile. Haptel gives you a free POS software for your store, a free mobile money shortcode, and a free web store. Sign in at haptel.com using the referral code CITIFM or dial star seven one three hash. It's that simple, it's that straightforward. Haptel will have you sorted. Haptel helping you grow your sales. Haptel is the company that is behind this show, and of course, NIIT. On a show today, we speak to Eric Osiakwan um, about the ideal portraits of a digital economy in Ghana what it takes, how we're going to get there, and when we hope to have a semblance, or a semblance of a digital economy a digitized economy we also hear from the winners of the betway fintech challenge about how to grow a fintech company in a market like ghana's we also um touch bits and pieces on the huawei ban and its implications on the mobile telephony space it's a packed show and i'm excited about it so let's get the show started Well, Ghana is in a very unique position today, a very strong political framework that is um, supporting our backbone, as it were, a very good media landscape, very healthy, that is relatively free, relatively in quotes. plus strong indices in terms of the technology space as well. The government of Ghana is pursuing a very digitized economy um, agenda as well as has commenced several initiatives to basically realize the dream of a digitized economy. However, some complain that the efforts seem scattered and uncoordinated. Un- Others also feel that there are components that are not necessarily in the right places. What exactly is a digitized economy made of? How can Ghanaians succeed in their efforts to create one and how beneficial is a digitized economy in the first place? My guest is the managing partner of Chanzo Capital. He's also an entrepreneur and an investor with 15 years of ICT industry leadership across Africa and the world. Eric Osiakuan is my guest today and he joins us for this particular chat about the digital economy that Ghana should be looking to build. Eric, you're welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's always so a pleasure fun. to have you. I have a lot of people getting very uh, excited when they know they're going to be on the show. Thank you. It's, it's an it's, honor. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. Well, so let's start off building blocks. What are those building blocks of a digital economy, or a digitized economy?
1: Well, um, generally, uh, if you take what you call the circular economy, it made up made up of probably three or more critical sectors, so... Education, health, agriculture are the foundations Mm. of human development. And then you have things like financial services and other sectors that contribute and build on top of that. Mm. And generally the thinking is that when you talk about the digital economy, technology becomes a critical instrument in those uh, sectors. Mm. Adding value, fixing pain points, bringing efficiency, creating transparency, Mm. And by doing these things, you are setting unique values to those sectors that make them become futuristic. Because the thinking is that the world is on a digital path. Mm. Digitization has become a critical part of globalization. The reason the world is very connected today is because of what we call the information superhighway, mm. which is the internet. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about the internet is that it's made us a global village. Mm. In other words, the world is big, but because of digitization, it's shrinking. Mm. Um, Tom Friedman says the world is flat. It's another expression Mm. that you can literally see a clear view across multiple miles of space. Mm. And it's because we are in this conundrum of technology that really means that by one click sitting here, I could be interacting with somebody who is thousands of miles away on the other side of the globe. And I can access resources from that part of the globe and vice versa, right? So so those are the elements that make for the digital economy. So it's almost like the boundaries of time, space, distance are disappearing almost, yeah. in some way mm-hmm. because of technology. And so that puts us in a position where it's almost difficult to say there are national, national boundaries. There are continental boundaries. they are geographic boundaries it's almost like we are in this boundless world of space and vacuum and technology is really the lubricant for that Mm.
0: it it brings me then to because it seems like it's it's something that we can hope to achieve
1: yes it's quite utopian in its expression in some way it is
0: and i'm just wondering if we have the infrastructure to be able to achieve it That's
1: a very good question. I think that generally it... it, I don't see it as an end in itself. I Mm. see it as a progression. Mm. And certain countries or certain, uh, you know, quantum of people have, you know, started much earlier. Mm. And so they have kind of a lead way. Mm -hmm. And then sort of the global... And that will refer to the global north generally. And then we in the global south are kind of are... for one of the better words, sort of late comers to the game, but it's almost like the fact that we are late comers to the game is both a disadvantage and an advantage. Mm. It's a disadvantage in the sense that, of course, if you're in a race and uh, you're going a hundred you know, kilometer That's race and somebody's ahead already, That's he's ahead. Yeah. But it's an advantage in the sense that that person that took off earlier has some baggage, they have legacy systems. They have infrastructure that were built with, you know, um, not f- so much foresight. And so you coming with a clean slate almost seems like you could actually catch up or overtake, mm. right? So, in you know, manner of speaking, that's what they call leapfrogging. Mm. That developing countries or the global south seems to really be making more advances in the digital economy than the global north. So, for example, I'll give you some statistics. There is now empirical evidence to support the fact that mobile telephony penetration in the global south has more impact on GDP than in the global north. Mm. In other words, for every 10% of penetration in the global north represent I think, one3 1.13%, and then the global south is about 1.3-something, right? So it means that mobile telephone is having more impact in the global South than it is in the global North, mm. right? And for reasons that are obvious, some of that are not that obvious. So in other words, it's sort of the postulation that the global South could actually become a forerunner in the 21st century.
0: But it's always could. It, it's never <laughs> it's never doing. It's always <laughs> could, possible. There, is, there, there just doesn't seem to be... like Because, I mean... the. Digitalization of the world and it's it's not something that has started today right we seem to be catching up and like you said we should be able to learn from the mistakes of the rest of the world to be able to leapfrog correct but we don't seem to be in a position to do that we don't even seem to be conditioning ourselves to be able to do that
1: right um so the the thinking the argument that you push back and i agree that you push back there is two schools of thought in this exercise okay. there's a school of thought that believes strongly that you need certain fundamentals to be in place in order for you to advance digitally mm-hmm. in the way that the global north is advancing okay. right and so you need things like literacy access to education mm-hmm. you know some basic things yeah. and there's been many arguments that have advanced that without those basics you cannot actually catch up or you know yeah. be participating in that exercise mm. and then there is sort of a bit of the what my friend of mine called the techno fundamentalist argument okay. that technology could actually be a kickstarter in some way mm. for you to catch up and hopefully use that as a productivity gain to then offset the things that you don't have. Mm. So for example, you take an entrepreneur from the global South, who doesn't necessarily have all the trappings of Silicon Valley, but has been able to somehow figure out how to write code without going to school. Mm. Somehow get access to computer and started um, something that is interesting. And then there's mass adoption. And then suddenly that company becomes a success. And, and therefore now they can employ people and the families that work in that company have better access to education, mm. etc. So somehow it's almost like a kick, you, you, it's a reverse equation in that sense. Mm. So it doesn't follow the normal pattern. So what you are saying is that in the global south, we are almost as, as if we, we're going against the current in a way that is self-inducing, mm. which is, You know, physicists will tell you that every action has an equal and opposite opposite reaction. reaction. But this time, it's an equal and opposite reaction that is causing an action, so to speak. Right. So you're working from the other side of the
0: equation. Now, we don't seem to have enough of those. Correct. Those who have sort of found a way around the global system to use conventional means but still be able to make we don't seem to have enough of them to make a strong enough case right
1: so so yes so that's correct so you call them pockets of excellence right but those people prove that that theorem is possible so my Mm. point is that Mm. it's not one Mm. theorem or the other Mm. i believe that both theorems can coexist and so everybody needs to find a theorem that works for you Mm. so for example i'm a classical example of the latter theorem, right. which is not kind of the normal path, <laughs> yeah. right? But those paths, as more and more people prove those paths, they become paths that people can follow. Right. It's just that we haven't had so many of those examples. So right. they are almost never think about it. Hmm. Right. And back to your question of so how then do you create that infrastructure deficit? Exactly. So so then the you know, to build up on the story so that company becomes successful. Then it's in the interest of those companies to now give back and begin to roll up into that infrastructure. Mm. So I'll give you an example. You take a mobile telephony company. I'm going to try to avoid using specific companies (laughs) just because of all the other reasons. But you could take a successful mobile company that was started by some entrepreneur that didn't have any trappings of success mm. before. Mm. Somehow they convinced the masses to adopt mobile telephony. People now talk on the phone, the company is successful. Mm. So the company then says, all right, we are now going to go to the stock market and list the shares of the company so the customers that made us successful can gain from it. It means those customers can now make capital gains because okay. They can now get returns, not just customers, because as customers, they benefit from using the service, which okay. is the statistics I quoted. But there's a second iteration that if the company is not in the capital market and each and every one of us can buy shares in that, the company becomes profitable, divert, declare dividends. So we now participate in ownership of the company. It's oh. self-empowering in ways that are not normal. Hmm. But the second tangent to this kind of argument is that when such companies become successful, they do something that is very critical. They start paying taxes. Mm. They start becoming the engines of economic growth mm. in these countries. Mm. And so they begin to have a knock-on effect on economic participation, right. which may not be the case before. Mm. And so, for example, you begin to see that they drift into sectors that hit at didn't have that kind of participation. So you find mobile money, for example, become a basis for fintech in financial technology. Mm. To the extent where today in the world, Africa is actually leading financial t- fintech, financial technology. Mm. To the extent that companies like Stripe were built on mobile money. The companies in the West that were exact copies of innovations that came from here yeah. that hit he didn't exist. Mm. So in some way, the global north is now learning from the global south, the guy who was behind who was late. Mm. So sometimes your being late may not necessarily and mean that you should stand an there and be crying thing. and be wailing yeah. and say, Oh well, I was colonized and that didn't, didn't work for me and so and mm. throw your hands in the air. You mm. could do something and literally you could become the leader, mm. not necessarily just being at the back.
0: Right. But then in order for them to also have that sort of impact on the local level, there needs to be and coming back to the original topic. Um, a certain ecosystem that will allow right. them to be able to yes. integrate first of all and then expand. Right. And this is where it's critical for us to, for example, have a modernized digitized economy. Correct. So, what would you say are the key benefits of a digitized economy such that
1: we have to aspire for it? Be- before we get to the benefits, mm. let's do one step on how, how do you create a digital economy?
0: Right. That's, that's fair.
1: So, so, based on the picture I've painted, mm. What needs to happen is that you need... So the first is I've shown how the private sector, a private entrepreneur, Can creates leadership leaders and year. drives that. Mm. But you see, that is not enough. Mm. Now, you want to be able to create more of those companies. So, excuse me. So um, Dr. Ennis Wilson of the Center for International Development, who was, who was my mentor and one of the people that um, looked up to many years, had this quad model. And in the quad model, he argued that in global technopoles or centers of innovation, there is the act, the active participation of four actors. Mm. And those four actors must work together in order to create that environment for innovation and for digitization to thrive. Mm. It's the private sector, mm. government, research and academia, and civil society. So what you see here in this case is that private sector is taking the leadership, but government needs to kick in really quickly and begin to provide the framework, the policy framework for these things to be replicated and for them to advance. So one company somehow makes it. Not a lot of companies will somehow make it. Mm-hmm. But given that one person or one company has made it, that becomes a basis for them to say, how do we look at creating the policy around that? Because policy is always late. Mm-hmm. But the policy makers must keep an ear on the private sector and what's working. Mm. So if something is working, we want to power that some more. So you say, okay, oh, wow, this company became successful by doing something. How do we create a policy framework to enable more of those companies? So, for example, how about we give them tax breaks in the first three years when they are kind of figuring it out, Mm. right? Because when you tax those companies, say we tax every company, they may not succeed. How oh, but we make it easy for them to register the company. Mm. Or we say, hey, for the first year, you don't need to re really register the company. Maybe you should just tell us what you're doing. You don't pay any money. But when you start getting the product, maybe then you should register the company. Mm. Then you say, well, initially you have some few employees. Maybe you shouldn't pay SNIT and those things initially. When the company starts making money and you are three, five years, then you start doing that. What you're doing there is that you are creating the environment for these guys who think that they can express themselves in innovation, entrepreneurship, to do it more Mm. so that you could have more successful company. Mm. Then you could go into doing things like giving them tax breaks at a certain point. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Singapore does all these things. And last year, they did something. that They they came up with a new policy in Singapore. Mm. Before the policy was, if you invested in a company, a startup, if the company fails, you you get, write some tax breaks against it, right? So if I give $10,000 to a company, I can write uh, 50% of it in tax case. Mm-hmm. Now they said last year, if the company fails, we are going to return 50% of the money you invested in addition to the tax breaks that you got. Mm-hmm. What the government is, the Singaporean government is doing, that it's a very powerful signal. They raised the bar feather. Right. They are saying that we want to create an environment for entrepreneurs to come to Singapore and build companies build because yeah. there are very few people in Singapore, right? Yeah. So what they're doing there is that they're saying, oh, well, actually, if my company fails, I'm you know, going it to get it. so bad. Mm. So bad. Mm. And then what does that mean? The investors will come. The honey the honey is there or mm. the bees there, the honeys will come or something like yeah. that, right? So basically, what, is, what the Singaporean government is doing there is economic stimulus. Mm. They are trying to jumpstart the economy to a different level by creating this attraction, someone says, Oh, the government is stupid. They are smarter. They're thinking 50 years down the line. Mm. Then, so that's government. Those are the things that government could do. They also do something like government matching investors, mm. right? All those things are there. Then you need to see how academia and research plays a role. Now, building companies and digitization is a team spot. Right. So you got to be able to have academic institutions that are churning out not only engineers, but business development people, sales people, marketing people, economists. You know, of course, I'm not saying you don't need people (laughs) in the liberal arts and the other sectors and all that. But if you're a country that want to be very strong in software development. Your academic institutions, you Should must create a framework to be geared that mm-hmm. They can be producing all liberal arts people when you want to be a digitized economy. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you don't need that. You need anthropologists. You need all the other skills. But you have to be strategic on the human capital that you are providing because you need that human capital. Is say? the most critical thing that you have. Right now, it's a little bit ad hoc. and And to say that, you know, Education is predominantly private sector-led and all this is It's great. Government needs to some credit, but you can create more framework. Mm. Then there needs to be research institutions like CSIR opening their doors to entrepreneurs coming in there, helping them with research, slowing down on the sort of gagging of research and saying, oh, you can do this. You need to let people experiment and make it an very easy thing for people to experiment because mm-hmm. as they do that ideas come out if somebody has an idea don't be in a hurry to start taxing them or gag them do it you know so you want to create that environment for a lot of thinking of jostling people trying things a lot will fail yeah. you know you might be ready for things to fail the government
0: has to rise some up and still create that exactly. environment for them to you to fail and still learn from the failures
1: because then somebody else will succeed later on yeah. and all this stuff then you need civil society mm. civil society are the customers people who consume the product Right, we need to change our attitude. The f- most important thing is that, and you and I, civil society, by the way, <laughs> so we need to start believing in our own product. Mm. Oh, uh, this guy made this shirt, the shirt is not good. Yeah, but buy it and give him feedback. We need to start consuming what we produce because if there's no market for it, the entrepreneurs will not produce those products. So we need to start changing our taste and saying, oh, okay, these entrepreneurs, they build some software. It's not like Facebook, but use that. Because if somebody didn't use Facebook, it won't be as good as you have it now. Mm. So you need to start, we need to start, civil society start, needs to start changing that uh, attitude of how we accept our own. We need to start consuming what we produce and produce what we consume. Because unfortunately, the reality is that whilst Africa is a very big market, we don't consume our own. Unfortunately, you know, if you take traditional sector like cocoa, we've been producing the best cocoa in the world for many years. We should be leading cocoa manufacturing. But the cocoa goes somewhere and then mm-hmm. comes back 10 times the, uh, the, price the price and the value. And, and then we say, ah, oh, cocoa, yeah, the power. you know, <laughs> we like it. But we, we could have been the ones producing that.
0: Eric, you've given us the building blocks for a digitized economy. Now, let's, let's wrap up the conversation by trying to understand where we are currently, and how these efforts that we, we are currently putting in place, because that's what it looks like the government is doing, with um, um, the digitized um, or, or with the registration of all yeah, personnel, yeah, all, yeah, all yeah. persons. <clears throat> all that is infrastructure. All, all software of that seems yeah. like yeah. You know, putting the necessary things Correct. in place. Digital address, we, all that all stuff. Of that, yeah. Considering where we are with that yeah. and where we want to get to, how, how long do you think it's going
1: to be? Yes, for? so, so I, I get your point. So in some ways, we are not doing bad, but in a lot of ways, we're really behind. Mm. right so and i'm not saying this politically and i it don't want to play blame. but the reality point. that we as a people are waking up to this manifestation in mm. ways that is almost like you have an inertia you have some nostalgia we want to do it but we are not sure maybe we shouldn't there's uh you know interest you know people who are benefiting from the status quo so you don't want you know so there's all that to go change management and it's all complex but generally i think that we need to ask people start realizing that this is where the world is going and we don't really have a choice. Right. And the reality is that we are really late. So we we actually don't have a say in the matter. Mm-hmm. We need to really be thinking, how do we actually move much more faster than everybody else is moving? Because we have a deficit, right? right? So when you start putting that, you put on that cap, then you realize that it's not really about, oh, did they put this database or that database? It's really about how quickly can we get everybody with a digitized address on an ID system. Mm. And that should be the essence of the conversation. Mm. The conversation should not be about, oh, he did something and we didn't do something right. Okay, yeah, we all make mistakes. This thing, you will make a lot of mistakes. But the thing should be how do we correct it quickly in in, in this uh, innovation, we call them fail fast. Mm. You know. So mm. you have to do this thing, someone not work, but just get over it quickly, you know. Mm. Of course, it doesn't mean that you should just be making mistakes and wasting national resources and all that stuff, right? right? But we need to understand that we will make mistakes. But we need to make those mistakes fast, learn from them, get up in the following morning, get, try the next one, and move quickly. Right. And, and because as you are making that mistake and fasting over it, the next technology is out. Somebody's already moved on two steps, right? So you need to keep an eye on the fact that the real battle is with the rest of the world that is racing fast, and you are catching up, Mm. and you'll be making mistakes. Mm. They may be politically induced, local economy context, but you need to start. Your eyeball is not on marking time. Your eyeball should be going very fast. A friend of mine said, we get into this babangida boogie (laughs) where we take two steps forward, three back. (laughs) You know, we can't afford that boogie anymore. We have to be taking steps forward and just going forward.
0: My guest, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Osiakon, who... Is basically someone who enjoys creating, enjoys investing, enjoys supporting entrepreneurs globally. And he's done that for more than 15 years of his life. And he continues to do that today. He will be coming back for a quick chat about um, Huawei's little situation. <laughs> He'll be joining us for that conversation. But for now, we'd just like to draw the curtain on the building blocks and what it takes and when we are hopefully going to realize this digitized economy dream that we have as a country. Eric, thank you so much for these thoughts that you shared with us. You will not be leaving because we need your thoughts about Huawei's current position in this um, current system that we have. Thank you. Has your computer developed a problem you don't understand? Is your phone refusing to respond? Is there a computer virus you're battling with? Are you having problems signing into your account? Share your tech problems with CityTrends and we will get the experts to help you solve them. Send us your problems via WhatsApp number 54 You can also send us a tweet using the hashtag CityTrends. Share your thoughts and opinions on the show via the WhatsApp number 054 Tweet at us using hashtag CityTrend. Now the Betway FinTech Challenge was set up to create basically an environment for entrepreneurs to build solutions to help address challenges in the delivery of financial services to a broader range of the Ghanaian population basically now 10 finalists pitched at the final event which happened at the Digital Centre last Friday and the winners are here with me I have in the studio Prince um, from Quiddex who were the ultimate champions we have Yao Baku who from Penny Smart we've had a conversation with him before um, sometime last year about his his service and Akwesi Tego of Noko these were the three finalists, um, the top three winners, I should say. Quidex of course was the top champion with 20,000 Yanis very happy bunch of people um, Nukofi was second, I think Penny Smart was third. Gentlemen, you're welcome to the show. It's a real pleasure and congratulations. Thank you First very of much. all, Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to start off with you Prince. Um, for me, my main, um, the main thrust of this conversation has to do with what it takes for group of young men i saw three of you at the final to go from idea stage to an eventual product stage where you can actually pitch a product and actually win a competition like this and from your pitch it doesn't look like a dream it doesn't look like something on a piece of paper it actually looks like if like a, a solid product that can help solve a problem so let's start the conversation off with what exactly your product is about and how you have been able to weather that storm
2: all right. Um, good evening to your listeners. So, Credex basically is a grow and share model where which that allows everyday people like you and yourself, working class people everywhere around Ghana and the world, who want to um, have some share of the agricultural space. Maybe they want to have have a farm or um, just invest basically in agriculture, but have no idea how it works. Mm. Can come on plat- the platform Credex and see. Farmers who are actually working, who have a track record of doing well and when working with Quiddix have secured insurance for their activities and then basically um, put in some money and give um, partner with the farmer directly by helping the farmer with the activities financially. Mm-hmm. And then when the farmer harvests, they splits the revenue. So that's the, basically the grow and share model mm-hmm. that we're doing. But on the growing of that um, concept from idea stage, Quitex um, um, came out of KIC, which is a Cosmos Innovation Center mm. with, by Cosmos Energy. So yep. uh, Cosmos Innovation Center, I, I would say, has been our backbone that has helped us grow from the idea stage, helped us with our MVP, helped us um, financially to gain investors who have then... Um, then subsequently helped us to get customers, and that's why you see it as a very valid product. But there product was a resilience
0: in terms of you coming up with the service. Yes, 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 you definitely. Know? That's that's where I want to Defin- come Defin- from. Definitely, there was it's, a- it's, they didn't just invest in an, an idea. Yeah. They exactly. invested in an idea that was working, that was going to work, that needed work from on you the exactly.
2: ground and everything else and yeah. that's what i want you to address okay. For so um basically it has it has been tough working with farmers going all around ghana trying to understand what farmers need because all more often than not we say, oh farmers don't have or don't get access from money from the banks adb all of that but why we having to go down to the farms Having to go down to the average the people ask them what they would like to see in an investment package from a farm, what they would like to see from a farmer before they would like to invest in them um, coupled with um, before we right before we launched about eight months ago, the big financial storm that happened in Ghana with banks closing down with men's gold it, it made things difficult for us because around december last year november december last year when we were actually launching everybody you speak to will say ah what's the difference between you people and men's gold right. so and you have to keep explaining yourself over and over again and that lack of trust in the financial space really held us back for a little while but we, we have a solid product now. People we in the f- startup world, you always have early adopters who would go beyond the doubt and start with you. And our early adopters, I'm glad to say, have started reaping benefits. People who invested in most of our three-month packages or people who funded farmers in our three-month packages from February and January have already received their um, monies and their share of their, country, um, their profits just last month so those people are now using them we are now having to rely heavily on their recommendations because this is a trust business and that is how we have been able to weather the storm but yeah it's been a lot of resilience coming up with this product and the 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 training from best over the past three months also really helped a lot with um trainings on corporate governance training on how to register a business how to pitch, and all of those things have also added to what cosmos innovation center had already given us and that has made us much much better coming through this challenge
0: you you are with no you guys were second in the contest Aside telling us what NocoFuel is and what exactly it does, I want you to also address the issue that um, Prince raised about the trust and how critical it is, especially with, you know, um, the environment that you, you, you predominantly work within. And I would just want you to touch on that briefly.
3: Okay, so good, good evening to your listeners. My name is Akwesi from NocoFuel. We provide a platform where individuals like yourself, again, can partner with farmers by investing in the farm units. Um, So we started in 2017, the ideation stage, Mm. and we made sure that we test as quickly as possible all our assumptions to see the possibilities and the failures, if possible, and how to work around it. Um, So we tested fast. We relied on grants and bootstrapping from our own pockets Mm. initially for the first six to one year of our business. Mm. And then last year, I mean, sorry, this year February, we got into startup bootcamp, Fintech Dubai, who invested some money. Um, the thing about the fintech space is that if it moves like a bank, talks like a bank, looks like a bank, Might it is a bank. Like yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. and then, mm. So it has to be regulated to a certain aspect mm. by someone, either the Bank of Ghana and in Ghana or the Securities and Exchange Commission in Ghana. Mm. But the challenge we are facing as a business or a startup is that um, in the Bank of Ghana laws, there's, not, there's it's uh, not clear. Yeah, it's, it's not, not, clear. It's not yeah, clear it's not clear so we personally we've had meetings with Bank of Ghana yep. we went back and forth we read the whole thing mm. we actually had to do our homework before going in, and then they agreed that okay through it's not in so we had to go to SEC so we are currently in talk with the SEC trying to find ways around it because at the end they just passed their real estate law mm. so they are also looking at ways to pass laws for innovative right. ideas as such mm. um, and that's a huge challenge because as much as people are Giving you money with the hope of a return, even if it's one percent, um, you are challenged to make sure that you give mm. them, you you, you do the work and get percent. get them their principal mm. first and foremost, and then give them the one percent. Mm. And it takes a lot of hard work. It mm. takes a lot of operational cost. Having people to be on the farm, following the farmers, making sure that we're getting the right inputs for the farmers, because our model runs. we, d- we just don't leave the farmers to farm, mm. we have to make sure that we're making enough profits for ourselves as a business to be sustained, Co- and then for the farmer, and then for the investor. Mm. Because if a business is not sustainable, or the farm is not sustainable, then we as NocoFuel cannot have any impact at all on the on the smallholder farmers, or even, I mean, we for chop, so <laughs> 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 yeah, that aspect too mm. is, is, is there. Mm. And for us, it, it's been a lot of hard work over the past 18, 16 months since we launched, validating your idea, taking it on to the next level. And fortunately for me, I have a very splendid co-founder. So I'm the one with agriculture background and he's a coder programmer. And we have a female operations manager who's also a co-founder. And this team has been perfectly splendid. We like no crab in the bucket issue. We We know what we are going for and we work day in, day out, to make sure we're getting there. Prince,
0: if I may ask, and before I come to um, Yao, you see, one thing I find is that, you guys, and and, and coming back to what Akwisi was talking about, you find yourself in a very unique position whereby you are charting a very weird path, yeah. where a lot of businesses, startups, fintechs, have not traded. And, like you're saying, you have to go to BOG, BOG yeah. realizing the flaws the flaw, in the law, yeah. and then now trying to Sort of take corrective measures to get everybody back in line. What is it like to carry that sort of torch within these very dark
2: streets? Um, So initially, we are at a point we're very skeptical about our model because a lot of people keep asking. So has Bank of Ghana licensed you? Has BOG um, SEC licensed you? So at a point we were quite um, skeptical about the way forward. But then what we decided as a business to do was to take a step. Mm. What we realized that. If we got big enough, um, aside of going to them, if we got big enough, we would draw their attention, and if they needed to put steps in place, they would. So we went to SEC, we went to BOG, we had a presentation with them, and then they said, okay, this model is new, and we will look into it, but for now, you can operate, there's no problem, um, legal problem there. So... It's still very um, uncharted territory because you meet people who, obviously, yeah, for the safety of their money, the security of their money, would also ask you, So, what about Bank of Ghana? And you may not have a very solid, um, and it's not your fault, it's not your fault, it's It's just a regulatory framework, it's not your fault. But then they ask you, and you can't present anything solid to them, Mm. and it's it's, uh, skeptical. But like I said, um, we are making sure that we are. We have Our verification process is working and we are picking the best farmers and also our monitoring systems are working so we can monitor the farmers very, very well so that we can be able to produce results for our, for our, our clients. If we are able to do that, we know that we will be able to weather the storm eventually.
0: Yao, pen, penny, penny Smart, um, you've told us what your business is about, but I'm sure there are probably a couple of people who... Are tuning in for the first time on the show yeah so first of all tell us exactly what your business does and then tell us about how important collaboration is okay within within this fintech space that you,
4: you are operating in okay um good evening everyone um i'm Yao Baku from penny smart um in a nutshell penny smart is basically like a suit box um but now it's on your phone and it's been automated So take for example, you want to save towards your rent or you want to buy a new laptop. You can go to PennySmart now and say, hey, uh, I want to save towards a laptop. I want to save 5,000. I can afford to save 50 cities every single month or every week. And I want to be able to withdraw the money in November. So when you do that and you add your card or your mobile money, we automate your savings. So basically you go back to work or you go back to school and focus on what you're doing. PennySmart does the hard work by automating your savings. So by um, come November, you reach your goal. You can make a withdrawal and be able to live your lifestyle. So basically, PennySmart is trying to help you save towards the things that matter to you. Um, So with regards to collaborations in the fintech space, it's something that is very, very crucial. Um, You notice that um in the tech space, most of the people you come across to um, have this sort of behavior where it's, um, as if you're competing with each other where you're it not... competition. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: <That's it. Yeah. laughs> but the thing is, it's, be,
4: it's beyond, it's beyond, um, it's beyond like a competition, right? Because for us to grow as um, a very strong tech system or an ecosystem, we need to collaborate more, mm. which means there are some products or services that complement each other. Um, so if you come together, you'll be able to achieve those way better. So let me give an example of let me give an example of um, a collaboration Penny Smart did. So um, in April, last April, the Avengers Endgame. So what we did was we realized that people wanted to save towards um, a lifestyle goal. So Avengers Endgame was coming So realised, OK, for people to have access to um, money to watch this movie, how about we create a goal for that? So we collaborated with Silverbed where we got uh, a cinema. Um, allow people to save over a period of months. So they were saving five cities a day, two cities a day. So by the time it was um, time for the premiere, people had enough money mm. and they were able to watch the movie with um, so much ease. So those form of collaborations are what drives the ecosystem and not only does it um, strengthen your um, the value proposition of your company to your users, it makes everyone um, trust the fintech space more. They understand that, oh, fintech is not just about... Oh, bring your money, bring your money. It's more about um, making life easy for you, basically. Mm. See. Yes, Yes, um,
3: collaboration with with startups are is good. And another aspect of collaboration has to do with accelerators, incubators, or even venture capitalists or people providing grants. And that's what i like to say a big thank you to the team at Betway and the facilitators and mentors doing the product. Because during the process we met, I personally met some startups, um, young guys who are doing amazing stuff who have never been to any incubator and then um, they pitch you their product and you realize that these guys are hungry for success and if it wasn't for Betway so the Betway master class series kind of exposed them to a certain aspect of their business and mm-hmm. um, how to find your business and all so if it wasn't for th- this collaboration with Betway or this opportunity of Betway it wouldn't be possible so um, for startups or for businesses to move to the next level such collaborations with um incubators, other accelerators that will help you move your business from one level or from a startup to a good level or the next level to so be able to secure bigger funding from um venture capitalists or even angel investors is is really important in this space that we are in.
0: Anyway, Prince, final yeah. words, since you are the winner. Uh, what, what should we what should we expect from QuidExce You guys won. You have all the money to do whatever you want. Uh. Tell us, tell us. You know, since you are the winner, we are going to give you at least some two minutes. Tell us what we should expect from you.
2: The the general public can expect um, the Quidex's goal of trying to get Ghanaians to invest in Ghana and make sure our country is better for all of us stands. So what we are what we are committed to doing as Quidex is making sure that farmers have viable businesses that the average Ghanaian can partner with so that we can be able to grow more food and import way less than we do now. That is our committed goal critics. Therefore, we are going to make sure that our farm, our farmers are secure, mm-hmm. they are working, they have insurance, they have technical support so that the average person can be able to enter this space. Now, if you have any questions, you can call 0243-155-687 or just visit www. Quedex.com and Quedex is K-W-I-D-E-X. K-W-I-D-E-X X for xylophone not Z for xylophone X <laughs> so go to codex.com you'll find numbers you can understand our model better we have a very ab- um, amazing animation there that will explain our model to you you can call any of us we can come to your office we can come to your homes and explain it to you if you want to we just need people to believe in us start working with us so we can grow this business and make Ghana a better place thank you
0: alright so that's what happens when you win a competition you get to tell the rest of the world your number and your, <laughs> your web- <laughs> Website so <laughs> people can go there. But hey, Prince from Quidex, Yao Baku from Penny P- Penny Smart, and Aquiti Tego from nukufu Thank you so much, guys, Thanks and congratulations as you. as well. Some some messages coming through. Wow, much love to Quidex. Congratulations on winning and all the best. That's coming from Juliet Nashama, New York. Interesting. Um, good evening. I'm an agriculture extension officer, and I would like to get your contact for some of my vegetable farmers who are looking for investors. I'm with the crow war. Municipal Assembly in Nungwa. This is coming from um, Anderson. So, Anderson, we've taken your number. We'll pass it on to um, the two um, companies that basically deal in um, agricultural products and services, and they will be in touch with you. Thank you so much, um, gentlemen, for joining us on the show. And um, we're going to wrap things up with a trending segment of the show. And today, the biggest topic, only topic, is Huawei and the Big Band. Don't understand is your phone refusing to respond Has your computer developed a problem you don't understand is your phone refusing to respond is there a computer virus you're battling with? Are you having problems signing into your account? Share your tech problems with CityTrends and we will get the experts to help you solve them. Send us your problems via WhatsApp number 54 998 You can also send us a tweet using the hashtag CityTrends. Well, it's time for the training segment of the show. And Farida is here with us. We'll be joined by Mr. Inchi. We'll be joined by Jeffrey. And of course, we'll be joined by Eric as well um, to, to look at this um, Huawei situation. So um, if you have not been following, basically um, um, the United States of America has done it again. Trump basically imposed um, a ban on, um, you know, basically um, American companies um, dealing or dealing with you know certain companies especially within the technology space or the telephony space and um, it basically affected Huawei's relationship with you know a company like Google who basically provide them certain services now it's gotten very complicated over the last two or three days today for example Um, There's been an amnesty of sorts of 90 days that has been introduced by um, the American government. So Huawei currently can still deal with these American companies um, for 90 days, according to um, the American side of the story—they're basically are allowing this so that people can put their houses in order and things like that. But it obviously goes beyond that. There are geopolitical issues involved. There are, um, there's a whole 5G conversation and how the 5G thing plays into all of it. It's it's huge. Farida is here, and Farida, let me get your initial thoughts about all yeah. of this and what you make of of of. Of this Huawei
2: situation, um, before I come to I, end, I and then we get to when it gets to a point comments.
5: where you know everybody is so much used to Samsung and then an iPhone, and you know Huawei is trying to be like the bigger. Because Huawei person. currently is the, yes, second, the second largest yes. when it comes to the shipment of, of devices. yes, the devices. So I don't know what Trump is trying to do. Like you said, there are political undertones under it. But why is he trying to bully his way through? You know, when it comes to China, of course they are the bigger market because of their population and everything. But right now, um, what users might be missing is um, using Android for Google and then YouTube, for instance, because these are also other companies that are going to be restricted on the, on the Huawei um, Android device. But what is going to happen is, you know, I am thinking that, okay, if you are looking at a number of people who sort of like go onto Google, and then YouTube, of course, if you're looking at the biggest or the second largest Huawei, maybe they could also be affected, but it doesn't look like they really care much. Well,
0: I mean, considering the fact that Huawei says that they have their own marketplace and everything Mm -hmm. that they've prepared, so they're pretty much ready for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, My challenge now is, or the thing that excites me about this situation is the fact that we've come into a space where Huawei is likely going to build a new ecosystem that's what is going to happen and that for me is the most exciting i don't know eric i don't <laughs> You're know what excited about that. that it's it's exciting because mm-hmm. it's it's it just shows that there is something that goes beyond ios there's something that goes beyond android Yes, and there if has to and be. only if like you were saying earlier the environment is created we will be forced to create a, an alternative reality mm-hmm. and it seems that that's what we're doing
1: yes you know uh in more ways than not this uh, development shows that technology tries within a certain geopolitical space, right. and so certain things, are factors outside of your control can. But, so which is sort of the downside, the upside is that it wakes everybody up mm. and also gives um, other companies the impetus that you have to create your own infrastructure. Mm. Which somebody would say, okay, creates a downside because that means that the concept of collaboration is weakened by, in this case, uh, geopolitical forces. Exactly. Because, um, you know, things ride on things and things right on things and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that, in my view, I say let the chips fall where they may hmm. because these are things that have political implications and could also raise other more substantial issues. For example, what does this mean for the interplay of political power against private uh, power, Mm. right? Because these are private companies. And so this sort of seems to suggest in this case that, you know, the political establishment is... Is it really that the private companies really don't want other private companies to use their stuff or is somebody twisting somebody's hand? Mm. You know, so uh, this creates much more complex nuances than a sort of in the face of it. Uh, And so I kind of think that, and, and also the kind of entities that are involved in this are organizations that have, sort of much more grandiose issues. For example, in the case of Google, we know that Google has had challenges being operating the way it operates in China, for example, yeah. right? Where Huawei is a, you know, it's coming from. It's, yeah. So somebody could say, yeah, you know, stick for touch. So now we also will push back. So yeah. probably a private company will say, eh, okay, this is a time when we should also push back um you know so there's being you know there's some history that you have to also keep in mind Mm. you know american companies like uber were bought in china because they couldn't operate the way they want to operate there Mm. so it's like the two big elephants in the world fighting and also this means also about global domination right so you know the political economists will tell you that this is really what happens when you know there's a new global superpower that wants to offset an existing superpower so there will be this sort of clashing you, know, so, so <laughs> like, you know so so this is like yeah so so to speak it's, so it's, I, you it's,
0: know. it's it's interesting we jeffrey um quickly we spoke to Dirdin Dazi and um um Kofi Dati of um um Rankhard and we'll be coming to those in a bit but jeffrey just quickly your thoughts about what has happened you know okay. these past few days no. um I don't care about the politics. Right. The
3: fun part here is that we have there's the probability that Huawei will bring out their own OS right. and give us something other than iOS and Android. Right. Mm-hmm. And they may take things from the two platforms and make it better. Right. That's what I'm looking at. Right. Let Trump do whatever he wants. We don't care. Just give us something more exciting. Right. And we are done. And already there, um, I'm reading from Android Authority that Kaijin, which is in Beijing, is mm. saying that Huawei has a plan B. Of course. That if Google continues to
0: do this, they'll build their own OS. Well, they have, they've had their ma- their own marketplace since 2018 or 2017. Mm. So they're pretty... Uh, they're pretty much set. They are prepared. You know. Mm-hmm. Give me something exciting. Well, let's hear quickly from Derideen Dadzi and then Kofi Dazi as well. Um, before we wrap up with Mr. Entry's comments.
6: Huawei shipped fifty nine point one million smartphones. Apple thirty six point four million smartphones. Xiaomi twenty five point twenty five million smartphones. Vivo, twenty three point two million smartphones and Oppo twenty three point one million. Smartphones, right? So these are the top one, these are the top five um, globally in terms of smartphone shipment. The the dimension is that Huawei is more or less restricted when it comes to the sales of their smartphones in America, right? So their real markets are uh, Asia, Europe, and Africa. So in terms of smartphone shipment, the American play for Huawei is very limited. So they have a lot of play in Africa. Now, what does that mean? Uh, What what that means is that, obviously, it's going to impact Huawei's ability to serve their market in terms of utilizing Google's Android platform. And that in itself is not good for the company. Accordingly, they are saying that they already have a backup plan. But over a period, if customers are used to a certain operating system, or they use a certain um, component or phone capability, it's going to be very difficult to transition them onto a new platform because there's going to be that learning that has to be done. People have to get used to a new operating system or a new system. And that in itself is going to be a toll order for our way. Right. So that is one dimension. The other dimension is that this is going to have an impact on the global supply chain. Because these are the heavy lifters, right? And if you look at the numbers there's a German chipmaker called um, Infineon, which is, has also now on the back of this ban, right, who has also said there's going to restrict its business with Huawei. They're looking at companies like Intel, Qualcomm. These are all companies that have instructed their staff to stop dealing with Huawei. So it's going to have a very huge ripple effect in the global telecommunication and smartphone industry. Note that Huawei is also one of the leading companies championing the 5G agenda, right? So this is also going to impact it. But the other side is that look, Huawei is also is more of the big monopolies in the states, right? So it creates an opportunity for new players to come in and try and take some of the pie, right? So from 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 an from an American point of view, what I see is that you're gonna have a new, a relooking into the American tech ecosystem to find new suppliers, to fill in the gaps in the supply chain, right? It's gonna also now let, uh, how do you call it, Huawei now look within and see how they can build their own internal capabilities to supply the needs or to meet the demand in their market. So from, from the economics of things, some new players will benefit. That's how I see it. I see some new players rowing their heads to start filling in those gaps that will be left by this uh, new tech ban. Right? But that's also a, a lesson to many um, companies as well, many countries. Every country should look out for its own digital sovereignty. In our pursuit of a digital or a digital direction or in in, in the digital journey, countries cannot always lean on others and and take in things wholesale. Mm. They have to, in in pursuit of their digital agenda, they have to figure out how do we ensure that at any point in time, there's no adverse effect on our digital sovereignty as a result of our engagement with company A or company B or company C. Mm. Right. Right. So operating systems, yeah, there's a lot that goes into the development of of an operating system. But the other part the other dimension is the marketing of it, the adoption of it. It has to be adopted by people. It has to penetrate different markets. And that journey is a very long time. It's a very long term journey. You can't get up one day and say I've got an operating system, so everybody's going to use it. People are always used to different kinds of operating systems based on devices, based on channel or based on the kind of platforms that they are used to or based on the services that they are looking for. Android has been the de facto open source or device operating system for a lot of um, OEMs and a lot of um, device manufacturers over the years. Most of the manufacturers have not actually uh, been able to become very successful trying to deploy their own operating system, from Samsung to Nokia. Uh, to even Microsoft. They find it very difficult to compete against the likes of Android, right? So now that um, Google and Huawei are going on this tangent and Huawei saying that they have their own backup operating system to be able to drive their economic agenda or their business agenda, it's not going to be a walk in the park for Huawei. Right. They have to do a lot of marketing. They have to be able to do a lot of market-oriented how do you call it education, trying to drive and promote their own um, operating systems. And it comes with a lot of trust, it comes with the whole marketplace. How are you going to now build a new marketplace, now trying to release new tools, new protocols, new frameworks, new development languages, or how how are people believe how are developers going to build new new applications on top of the new uh, on top of the new operating system? It is not going to be a walk in the past. Mm. There's, there's a lot of work that has to be done, and it's going to take a very long time. It's going to take a very long time for it to come to a full circle mm. in terms of Huawei, the new operating system, creating the market because the operating system is not as valuable as the services that are sold on top of it yeah. that customers yeah. are going to use yeah. because that's where the money comes from. Mm. Google makes money from advertising and things that Microsoft thing um, people do on the Huawei platforms right? So what are the economic models, how are the, the economic models going to be like? How quickly can they, you know, fashion out a new model to be able to compete against, against the likes of Google? It's economy, mm-hmm. it's economy, it's supply and demand. Right. What is the demand for Huawei service? What's the trust even for software when it comes to American, American-led software and Chinese-led software? So these are some of the things that um, have questions that have to be asked and for me for a way to respond it's going to take a very very a lot of investment a lot of strategic you know thinking it's going to take a lot of i think it needs a lot of buy in from customers for their operating system to be able to match what android has done and to be able to compete in the in the in the in the in the market
7: mm-hmm. let's look at Google and the Android operating system, what that is, to the smartphone ecosystem. And then look at Huawei as a smartphone handset manufacturer. So um, reports indicate that um, about 49% of Huawei's sales actually comes from their handsets. About 49% of Huawei's sales comes from their handsets. And there's a significant portion of those handset sales, which are in China. And then there's a significant other portion, which is distribution to other markets. So Europe, US, Africa, and elsewhere in Asia, Latin America, and so on. So if you look at the sales impacts too. Huawei, it again splits into two. For the Chinese market, um, the Google applications, which are also affected under this event, such as Gmail and Maps, mm. are not typically used inside of the Chinese market. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yes. If you will recall, Google as a company pulled out of mainland China a while ago. Yeah. Right? And, there are, and there are restrictions on the use of these Google applications. Mm-hmm. Therefore, Huawei Android devices distributed in mainland China are not as significantly affected. However, the Huawei devices that you or I may use outside of the Chinese market, which are running on Android, particularly new devices that Huawei is planning to release, are the ones that would be significantly affected if this embargo, so to speak, has not been lifted by the time their new devices are coming out. So you and I probably use Gmail and Maps to highlight two key applications which are under these restrictions. And so if we were to be purchasing an Android device, or if we were to be purchasing a device that's not running on Android due to any of these restrictions, we would certainly um, be considering the alternatives. So if you look at the potential for a sales impact, um, a sig- significant um, sales impact on how we are, say, in the short to mid-term for new devices coming out, um, it's... It, it, could uh, be um, of of concern to them. Mm. Then, if you look at the Google side of things, here's what I surmise. Um, Google didn't appear to take this action until triggered by U.S. government trade sanctions, so to speak, assuming I'm using the right U.S. governmental um, uh, lingua pertaining to the action. Yeah. So we can, we, can, we can assume that this does not normally make sense to Google as an action to take. And I make that argument based on the trade economics at play here. Yeah. After Samsung reports indicate that Huawei is the second largest distributor of Android devices. Exactly, exactly. Uh So then you see from the Google angle that Huawei is a significant distributor of Google software and applications. And we know that Android distribution is fundamental to Google's core strategy for getting out their apps for users to engage with, Mm -hmm. from which ultimately their business and search and ads is effective. So I don't think that without the US government action that Google would have been taking this action of, re- of um, restricting the licensed versions of Google Android and apps like from the uh, Play Store like Gmail and and Maps. So in the short term right so in the short to midterm, this is probably not attractive proposition to Google. It probably is not an attractive proposition. It certainly is not an attractive proposition and action for Huawei. And for users of Huawei devices, especially for new releases that will be directly and absolutely impacted by the restriction it makes, especially for users outside of the Chinese market, it makes those Huawei devices potentially become less attractive if we're used to um, having uh, a full-blown version of Android and
0: all the apps that come with it. now Huawei says they have an alternative operating system. But then ov- obviously the biggest question is, you might have an operating system, but do you have a marketplace to support you know, the, the, the operating system? Because at the end of the day, that's really where the money is made. And I'm just wondering, if Huawei does go ahead to push out their operating system. What, how how are they going to survive, especially since their marketplace is not necessarily too well-known and will definitely take some time for people to adapt to it, especially developers?
7: For those of us who um, cut our teeth in the PC era, when we watched the battles and the evolution of the what was at the time called the Wintel duopolis. So Intel uh, um, processor-based personal computers running on Windows, running Windows. Um, And we saw um, that while there were other operating systems that were out there, certainly what Apple had and and, um, um, uh, Unix-based operating systems, eventually the windows um, ecosystem um, up to a point won the general war and that was partly because applications that were written and distributed for the windows operating system also became popular for both business and personal use so a lot of it a lot of it goes with the developer ecosystem you and i are happy to use Android devices or even um, Apple devices because of the app stores and the Play stores and all the applications which become available for us to use. The end user doesn't really care much about the operating system. What they care about is the ecosystem that the operating system supports. So all the functionality from hardware to the content software distribution which that particular operating system platform makes available. So Huawei's challenge, particularly for outside the Chinese market, will be getting developers to build and distribute applications and services to run on an alternate operating system. Developers will not invest in doing this if Huawei does not have sufficient distribution. So as an example, when people build an app today and they want to see it do well in the market, they will typically build it for Android and then they'll build it for the Apple iOS operating system as well. They may or may not additionally build a distribution for uh, Windows Mobile. If they did an Android-compatible extension, unlicensed because it's open source and it's available out there from Google, then we might still be able to support your standard Android applications. Mm. So it's going to be interesting between what is technically possible with the open source Android for the non-Chinese market, or whether Huawei will take the opportunity to Innovate beyond what we're currently used to, and need that as an opportunity to try and break open a whole new front. Mm. I, I I would be I would be excited by that possibility. There's also another threat There is the rollout of 5G networks and 5G-enabled handsets. Yeah. So. Huawei leads the global industry by 12 to 18 months in 5G network equipment, manufacturing, distribution. Now, that is certainly one of the undertones of the struggle going on at the moment. So we can also imagine that in handsets, Huawei and or allied distributors will probably be Ahead or at least a par on the 5G release. Because if you develop the backend infrastructure and you develop the handsets, you would certainly want them to be ready hand in hand. So that that, that might be an avenue where end consumers, where 5G networks are rolling out, may be interested in investing in advanced 5G capable handsets that are not running on your standard um, edition of Android and possibly don't have support from certain Android apps you're used to. My short answer would be that the level of innovation that Huawei is willing to introduce given looking at these restrictions from the point of view of opportunity could be interesting. I think Huawei certainly has the financial muscle to await uh, this storm. And it may turn out that they will show an innovative powers as well um, that could get users looking at an ultimate ecosystem to the currently dominant Android ecosystem.
0: Mr. Entry, finally, as we wrap up, your, your, your quick comments. Uh, it would just be very simple. So I think with this, with, with what uh, Trump is doing and with Google, mm. I think it's going to break Google's monopoly right. on the Android whole system aside mm-hmm. OS and I think it's a good thing. So right. just mm-hmm. that. Well, that is actually it. Thank you so much, um, listeners, for doing the listening. Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure coming your way. A big thank you to Eric, Osiakwan um, for joining us on the show. Thank you so to my, my guests in the studio um, and those who couldn't make it as well. But hey, it's it's been a great conversation. More of this will be available in the podcast, which will be available to you to download tomorrow. So there will be a lot more content about the Huawei situation in the podcast. So make sure you go find it, download it, and take a listen. It's been such a pleasure coming your way um till next week do stay techy